Our bracket's dead. The entertainment portion of the program's over. And now I'm done. Like, like the result is less interesting to me than the process of getting there, if you know what I mean. The other thing that's true, Mike, is that at the end of Saturday night and going into Monday, either Florida Atlantic or San Diego State is going to be playing for the national championship. Today is March 27th, I believe. If on February 27th you had said to me, hey, I got an idea. Florida Atlantic's playing San Diego State tonight on TV. Let's watch. If you had said that to me, I would have said, get out of my house. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity, and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Uh, welcome in, everybody. It is the final Thursday of the month, month Excuse me, of March. The best time of year is here, springtime. My name is Brian Stone. This is the Stone On Air podcast. The final four is this weekend. And happy opening day to any out there who celebrate it. Yes, baseball season, the greatest sport in the world, has returned. This is the Stone On Air podcast. This is a supposed for-profit venture. I've been saying that for... I'm looking at my wrist as if there were a watch there, tapping it and saying, oh my God, it's been eight years that I've been doing this show uh, as a standalone podcast. It once originated as a radio show. Later on, it became a radio show again, and then that radio show went away, and then back to the standalone podcast. But it has been going for quite some time, and happy to have you on board for another installment each and every Thursday, the somewhat midweek download destination for thousands in the city of Chattanooga and surrounding Areas Coming up on today's show, I'll knock it out real quick on the front end, give you an idea of what's going on. And I got several things I want to jump into here during the uh, the open, mostly local-related stuff. In the second segment of the show, yes, I have to go down the road of the shootings, guns, and all these things. And I kind of looked back on the eight years of the podcast and started looking back at some of the other times coming out of a story like that and how I reacted and which direction I went and um, kind of formulated an idea for a segment. It might be something you've heard before. It might be completely different, but that'll be the second segment of the show. The final segment of the show will be installment two, chapter two of stories maybe I shouldn't tell after three weeks of inpatient and one outpatient week. In rehab for my addiction to alcohol, I am giving you a story at the end of each show, and I've jumbled them up. I was going to do a different one this week. I don't know that I'll actually even get to all of the 10 chapters. That might be a little overkill, but since it is NCAA tournament time and this story was written at the very beginning of the NCAA tournament in real time while I was in rehab, I'm going to go with this week, Chapter 2, and the Basketball Diaries. So that'll be in the final segment of the show, and I'll set it up 
when we get there. I'll give you three pieces of audio. Basically, the portion of the open that is I scroll through TikTok so you don't have to. Government, if you take it away from me, I will fight you. I will punch you in the face. I'll get you the worst idea, the realest thing, and the coolest thing all coming up here. I'll get those to you in about 10 minutes from right now. So to get things started, uh, 39 days now today on the 30th of March, 39 days dry. And just like the lyrics from Jason Isbell's song, it's getting easier, but it never gets easy. As I sit here with my vape pen, yes, I'm still smoking somewhat, trying to get that uh, kicked with the vape. I don't know if that's a good move or not, but uh, one step at a time here. And my sparkling water loaded with an obnoxious amount of lime juice. And um, that's just going to have to be the placebo that I continue to have each day and night. But 30 days, 39 days, I feel pretty good about it. Energy level is coming back to a, to a certain degree. Still a little lower than it used to be. But um, life is good and the struggle is real. But I'm happy to be here sober talking to you the fine listener of this podcast. So I will start things off by saying I am uh, pretty excited about this. Friend of mine, a friend of many in the city, local musician Ryan Oyer hosts a show on 88.1 WUTC. I've been critical of this radio station in the past, but generally speaking, I still listen to it pretty regularly and happy to be uh, his guest on his Britpop and Beyond show coming up sometime in the near future. Hopefully that doesn't get axed by management over there. I guess it's entirely possible that it might. But we discussed it the other day and I put together my playlist for the hour of 1990s British rock and roll pop, whatever you want to call it, the what would that be maybe the third british invasion if i guess you got the original one then you got one in the 80s and i would consider there to be somewhat of an invasion of the 1990s but maybe that's just me speaking as an ignorant child of the 1990s so when that's going to be closer to being a thing i will let you know all about it um two more things here i want to spend a few minutes on um dave weinthal passed recently More on that here in a few minutes. First, let's start with more fun and uplifting conversation. The day-to-day schedule has been released for Riverbend this week, just a couple of days ago. And for my life of being in this somewhat media of Chattanooga and the southeast portion of Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama, I am able to get credentialed for uh, quite a few things. Sometimes I get turned away. Usually I don't. Uh, It's been more difficult as the media outlets have dropped off from my resume at the current time. And really the only regular thing I have going is this podcast, but it gets more and more listeners as the years go on. And I think that is beginning to finally be respected by um, outlets here locally. I used to say I could get I could get free tickets and credentials to Bonnaroo easier than I could Riverbend once upon a time, which seemed bizarre to me. But I got the email with the with the approval of credentials for Riverbend, and every time I get that email, it the excitement never goes away. Uh, for 20 years, when the email comes through and says, "Brian, you have been approved for credentials for X thing here," it makes my freaking day. I am not ex- even kind of joking. It makes the day just, I just beam like, oh man, it's so exciting. And at that exact moment, roughly that day, I think it was the same day, 
the day-to-day nightfall, nightfall Riverbend lineup was uh, released. I will do a comprehensive show on this coming up in um, sometime in May, a couple weeks leading up to the festival, where I'll dig deep into a lot of the artists. But I'll just take a quick look at it right now. Friday, Jerry Harrison from uh, the Talking Heads and Adrian Blue will be doing lots of Talking Heads music, from what I'm to understand. I don't go very deep with the Talking Heads. Hate to say it, not even really that big a fan. But I'll be there at the Bud Light stage at 6 o'clock on Friday, June 2nd. Uh, Amos Lee, Coin, and Strung Like a Horse will round out the week, the, the night for me. It is borderline criminal that Coin and Strung Like a Horse are going to be overlapping. And it is equally somewhat criminal that Strung Like a Horse is on that damn Chevy stage again. Sorry, Riverbend guys and gals. Love you to death. Can't wait for the fest. I'm a big advocate these days. Strung needs to be on the Bud Light stage. And if they're not, it should not be overlapping with a band that's somewhat in the same genre. Not really, but if you like Strung, you're going to like Coin. If you like Coin, you're going to like Strung. So that's kind of sucks, but hey... It's a festival. Those kinds of things happen. On Saturday, June 3rd, we'll get the Afternooners, a great local band, uh, playing early on the Chevy stage at 315. Amanda Shires, speaking of Jason Isbell from earlier, that is her his wife, I should say. Uh, big Boy at 515. And then the big buzz of the uh, of the summer here in Chattanooga is going to be Goose. If, uh, if you're not familiar, take my word for it. If you like jam music at all, listen to it. You'll like it. It's not a great name of a band, Goose, but once upon a time, I'm sure someone said the name Fish sounded stupid too. These guys are the real deal. They've got an hour and a half, 7.30 to 9 o'clock set. That'd be a perfect way to get into uh, to, to Dusk and Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats at 9.15 to 10.45 on the Coke stage on Saturday the 3rd. And then for the final night of Riverbend, June 4th. This really is layered out very well. I'll be there all three nights. Last year, I only went Saturday and Sunday and still thought it was one of the better festivals I've been to in the last couple of years. This one's layered well all weekend. Mavis Staples at 5 o'clock on Sunday the 4th. One of my favorite bands, Blackberry Smoke. They only have an hour set, which kind of sucks. I wish I had an hour and a half, but that's fine. They'll be on the Coke stage at 6.15. Les Claypool does have the hour and a half set. On, but on the Bud Light stage at 7.30 with the Fearless Flying Frog Brigade. And then wrapping things up in uh, New Orleans Bayou fashion, Trombone Shorty and the Orleans Avenue, 9.15 to 10.45. That daily schedule is out. If you need to take a look at it, go to riverbendfestival.com. 130 bucks is all it's going to cost. But, of course, you still got the haters, still got the people who just don't ever get it. And the good news is these are the people we're not going to have around very often. This is just one I pulled off a, a thread from a guy named Joe, Joe McKeel, to be exact. Wow, a lineup close to a full summer of nightfall in one weekend. Or maybe who would play and barely fill the Memorial Auditorium main room. And you want $130 for that week lineup? 40 years, it was a good run, friends of the festival. Gone are the days of Hank Jr., Willie Nelson, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Widespread Panic, Goo Goo Dolls. You took one week, chopped it into two days, then tripled the cost. Guess you got to make up for those lost concession sales revenues somehow. As Uncle Jed would say, it's just pity full. And thank you very much, Joe. At least we know you won't be there and all the other riffraff there to eat funnel cakes and uh, neck down by the 
the the underneath the bridge, the high schoolers and all the other wayward, loitering, useless types. Just another confirmation that we won't have to deal with that kind of nonsense. No, there will be no Hank Jr., Willie Nelson, or Earth, Wind, and Fire, or Goo Goo Dolls. I'm surprised you even knew who Widespread Panic was enough to add that to the list. And before I get to these uh, audio pieces, because I want to spend a couple minutes on one of them, it's pretty funny. Um, this is not funny at all. Past uh, the other day, uh, Dave Weinthal, longtime print media guy here, photographer in town. I actually knew him somewhat. I wouldn't call him a a real close friend, but um, a uh, certainly a well-acquaintanced colleague, and he had reached out to me at one point. I'll come back to that in a minute. For those who are unfamiliar, he was the publisher of the Enigma magazine. Now, there was a lot of things to be critical of that publication, primarily, mainly the the fact that the spell check was just never a thing on this publication. It became a joke that was funny for a minute, and then it wasn't funny anymore, and then eventually it was kind of like, but, but for real, like, are you ever going to have a spell check on this thing? Um, but he put this thing out. I, it was originally called, uh, Brevis, I believe, Brevis or Brevis. When I was, you know, a teenager, 15, 14, 15, 16 years old. And then it was the Enigma. And I might be wrong on that. Maybe Brevis was something else that somebody else did, but I grew up on that concert calendar in the middle of that publication every week, no matter where I was, I'd be out with my dad. If it was before I was 18 or, you know, over the age of 18, 19, 20 and all that, when I was 15, 16, 17, and it would be at the bars or at the restaurants we would go to. And I would go through and I would highlight all the shows for the year that I wanted to go to. It was one of the most comprehensive concert calendars you were going to get in a day and age when finding things online wasn't a thing yet. And if it was a thing, it wasn't an easy thing. And it sure as hell wasn't comprehensive. And everything from uh, many of the different writers, uh, I'm not going to even begin, begin to remember everybody who contributed to it, but Wally Wachowski had gravy stains there for years. Um, Jim Sells comes to mind. Uh, Mark Northern might be another one if I'm maybe I'm getting some names mixed up. Uh, I, I probably should have written this stuff down and done a little bit more research on it, but it, it, it doesn't matter. The, the, the focus here is on Dave and what he did with this paper and I mean, I, I wanted to be on the cover of that thing so bad. I got a mention or two in it occasionally. Even the rumor mill was fun in the back of it, even though it was pretty much just a bunch of made-up stuff. But one time, not long um, after I got fired from GOW in June 24th, 2016, uh, I don't remember when it was after that, but that was the exact date, June 24th, 2016, he reached out to me and we met up at Camp House for a cup of coffee. I don't really remember exactly why, and I maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Maybe I reached out to him. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't remember that. I think he reached out to me because unsolicited, he gave me ad space in the Enigma magazine for the podcast. Um, it was just a logo with a little fine print below it. Basically, it was just unused uh, advertising inventory that he had not sold, and he was giving it to me for free because I guess he felt bad for me about losing the gig, but also maybe he enjoyed the podcast. Maybe he just enjoyed the effort. I don't know, but I always appreciated that, and I really do feel bad in the last... Several years, because he's a little bit of an odd duck, and so are many of us. 
if I saw him in public, he was usually out shooting, you know, nightfall or whatever else it was. I generally kind of steered clear and didn't go say hey. And I, I now regret that. And that's not just because of, of him and or, or the situation specifically to him. I generally try to kind of steer clear when I'm in those settings. I don't really like getting stuck in a bunch of small talk. I now kind of totally, not kind of, totally regret that. But the Enigma was a big deal in this town, and it kept people informed, and it gave people an an idea of where the local music was happening and where the not-so-local music was happening. And for me, I didn't know what was going to be happening anywhere in the Southeast if it were not for that publication for many, many, many years. So Dave Weinthal did um, some really good work here locally media, and he will be very, very missed. I'm running late. Let's get to these three pieces of audio. We'll start off with, uh, this one's real short, so this is good. I've always wondered this, and I've thought about it over the years many, many times. This is today's worst idea, how recorded songs end when on the record, and um, I've asked this a million times, today's worst idea. Who was it that came up with the idea of uh, song on an album just fading out at the end instead of officially ending like like you don't do it live you don't go like and now you like you don't do that like no one says hey I, I i really want a song to end the way it feels when you leave the room while the song's still going on. I've always wondered that. Why do they fade the song out oftentimes on the record? The song has an ending. When you play it live, it has an ending. Why don't you record it that way? What producer came up with that? And then why did so many other bands and producers and record execs go that direction? I've asked it to myself many, many times. The realest thing, I meant to pull this off of Wiki earlier and I forgot, the spotlight effect, but this is today's realest thing. Nobody cares about you, and I've struggled with this for so many years of my life, and I've finally gotten that burden off of my shoulders, and um, I think once we all reach a certain age, we get it, but this is today's realest thing. There's really two big mistakes in life. You know, The first one is caring about what other people think of you. The second one is thinking that other people think about you. For the most part, no one is thinking about you. The spotlight effect is this idea that we constantly overestimate the amount that other people are looking at or thinking about us. The reality is everyone's thinking about themselves. Everyone is selfish. No one is staring at you. So why not go do those embarrassing things that you're afraid of? No one is going to remember them. Maybe for a second they laugh and look and then it's over. And what, what benefit do you gain from doing those? It's incredible. So many uh, people I know, me in particular, struggle with that idea. I guess it's just an arrogance that that people are going to wonder, why am, I, why am I not there? Where's Brian? Why isn't Brian at the cool big event? And it's like the lyrics from Courtney Barnett's song, nobody, or the name of the song is, nobody really cares if you go to the party. Nobody's watching you. Nobody cares about you. Don't worry about all of that. And it's the spotlight effect, which, again, I meant to read in depth just a little bit more, but I forgot to print it off. And this one's really short, but I'm going to play it a couple of times, and we'll go a little late here in the open. This is today's coolest thing. It's from a TikTok account called There I Ruined It. And I'll play it for you once. It's 15 seconds long, and then I'll explain it just a little bit more. This is today's coolest thing.
God, that's so cool. It's like 14 seconds long, and all the haze that are added into this, and it shows it on the screen through the audio tracks and the multi-track and how it's layered out. I wish I would have come up with this idea and done it on my own, even though it would have been tireless work for just 15 seconds. You'll hear Hayes from the Lumineers, Pharrell, Queen, Hank Williams Jr., Katy Perry, Led Zeppelin, Nirvana, Jimmy World, Outkast, Train, Little John, Beatles, Taylor Swift, Pink Floyd, The Ramones, The Pixies, Smash Mouth, and Lady Gaga. And so if you, you can hear there, there's the, the the Hey from Hey Jude and the Beatles, and I quickly went through some of these. It's Ho Hey from the Lumineers, Hey Good Looking from Hank Sr., Black Dog Zeppelin, Harp Shaped Box Nirvana, The Middle from Jimmy World, Hey Ya from Outkast, Hey Soul Sister Train, Shake It Off from Swift, Blitzkrieg Bop from the Ramones, Hey the Pixies, and finally Smash Mouth's All-Star. All right, the fun and games are over for a few minutes anyway. Coming up next, really, what is there left to say? What is there left for the average person, the average asshole walking around to do anymore when it comes to the gun epidemic of this country? What else is there to say? Well, I'll try to come up with something to say that might be different than I've said before. But then again, now, eight years in, I'm sure it's just going to be more of the same. Just like gun violence in this country is going to continue to be the, just that, more of the same. I'll stretch out on it in the middle segment and try not to be the same old everything, even though all of this is the same old everything. Hang tight. That's coming up next. wants strict rules for everything from what teachers can teach to who can read to children to what color mermaids are but when it comes to just fucking filling out paperwork to get a gun too far but inconvenience is not the same as infringement and your fear of some dystopian authoritarian future is making it impossible for the rest of us to make life better in our dystopian present that was John Stewart. I just sometimes wish he would try to not be funny because he's smarter than he is humorous. He can be funny too. It's just like Bill Maher. Sometimes I don't need you to be funny. I need you to just make the great points that you make and leave out the dumb jokes. This Leonard Skinner, of course, doesn't even begin to look like the caricature that's been that erroneously fake band for the last 20 years. Back in the day, they were singing about these things then in the 1970s. What's a good a gun good for? Absolutely goddamn nothing. Except for putting men six feet in a hole. 
guns, man. Guns, 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 guns. Anybody who listens to this regularly knows where I come from. This is not a political statement. I'll just reiterate myself from past shows quickly. This has nothing to do with politics. This has nothing to do with um, who I vote for, ideologically speaking. I have a phobia of guns. I hate them. I hate weapons. I hate things that are designed to kill and to harm others. And so I am always against anything that has anything to do with a gun. Now, I'm fine with the Second Amendment and the bare arms thing, but this thing has jumped the tracks decades and decades and decades ago. And there's and, and I asked the question going into the break, what else is there to say? What else is there to discuss? Congress was already a bunch of do-nothings on this for decades, and now that our political uh, spectrum has become the entertainment political complex, it's just all theater. It's all performative. It's all about the social media teams of these politicians putting together memes and little mini videos and things to continue to be adversarial towards each other just for the sake of doing it. It is disgusting, it's pathetic, and it's unfixable from my vantage point. It would be hilarious if it wasn't so goddamn terrifying. So I sat back trying to think about what to do with this show today following the shooting in Nashville. Now, where these shootings take place, where these mass casualties take place, shouldn't change your emotion. I know that it does, but it it really shouldn't. Uvalde was just, wasn't that the name of the city in Texas? Was just the other month. I mean, it was I think May of last year. I have the whole timeline here in front of me. Uh, one of these pieces of paper. Like nothing has changed then. Nothing's changed now. Just because you live closer to the city that it happened doesn't mean it's any more or less terrifying. And really, if you want to think about it, the fact that it happened nearby means that chances are it won't happen nearby. Again, if you're just going by statistics, I generally don't like to try to decide whether I think I'm going to live or whether my children that I don't have or your children or other people's children will live based on statistical analysis on where the last mass shooting was. But alas, here we are. So I started looking back towards or backwards to a bunch of my shows since 2016 to come up with some of my responses from some of these other shootings over the last, well, that would be eight years. And um, I don't have a staff or a payroll or even an income stream whatsoever with this hobby of mine. So I would have been here for the rest of my life trying to come up with that information um, or to have that kind of playback. But I remember what they were like. But not really, because there's been so many of them since 2016. How many, you ask? Well, I'm glad that you asked. 3,562 mass shootings since 2016, over 3,500. Now, some people debate whether the definition of a mass shooting is accurate or what that doesn't mean exactly. Okay, fine. Cut it in half. Then it's 1,700. And then fine. Cut that in half if you want to get uh, nitpicky about it. And it's just a thousand. It's a shitload is what it is. This experiment of a country, this 250-plus year experiment, because that's exactly what it is, is terribly ill, very unwell, and it's 
going to get worse and worse. And the fact that we sit around and continue to be appalled and shocked. Oh, I'm shocked. I can't believe it. Can you believe? Yeah, of course I can believe it. How could anybody not completely believe, let alone believe, but not expect the next one? It is a statistical guarantee that there's another one any moment now. Uh, well, Brian, they can't take my guns again. It's in the, it's in my rights, my constitution. All right. Yeah, I got you. All right. For years, I used to talk about how many of these targets were places that I do not frequent or ever are uh, would be found participating in. And so a lot of these shootings didn't emotionally bother me as much. For years, there was many times it would be schools. I have not uh, been in a school in this century. I don't have children. I do have nieces and nephews and friends with kids, but I got enough to worry about myself than have to worry about everybody else's children's children. And so, yeah, uh, that sucks. Terrible. Sure, that's horrific for so many involved, but hey, I got uh, other things I got to worry about. Um, Churches, right? That was a target for a long time. And I guess at times definitely still is. There was one in Wisconsin. There's, uh, of course, the one in South Carolina that was a pure racist-driven one, white supremacy junk with that idiot kid that's, hey, miraculously, they didn't. he didn't die. Um, he's in prison, I would guess, forever. I sure hope anyway. I don't go to church, so I'm not going to die in a church, right? I wouldn't be found in any church at any point for any reason, unless for some reason someone drags me to an AA meeting. But other than that, um, so that doesn't bother me all that much. A dumb Batman movie. A Batman, the 15th, 20th Batman movie. There's a shooting, what was that, in Aurora, Colorado, I believe? Probably damn near a decade ago. Yeah, I'm not going to a Batman movie, so I don't have to worry about that. Now, clearly, I'm being somewhat flippant, but I'm being serious in the sense that these are a lot of places I would never be, but now the targets are being much more vast, much wider, and they're going everywhere now and it is starting to stress me out on top of the fact that I just have the phobia of these weapons to begin with they're now hitting grocery stores they're hitting music festivals farmers markets free outdoor community gatherings in small sleepy towns in suburban and rural America nightclubs these attacks are now finding themselves these attackers are finding targets and they're and and it's almost like there's a checklist. Well, we already got the gay nightclubs. So now we have to go after the Asian parlors in in Atlanta, or we got the 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 mosque in Wisconsin. So now we got to go after the grocery store in Denver, the piggly piggly wiggly in South Pittsburgh, wherever it might be. It that that's when it starts to get real to me is when the targets are now becoming places that I do find myself frequenting, and what it really comes down to is that freedom is dangerous. Freedom in itself is very, very dangerous. You give 350 million people the opportunity to do whatever they want, and you never know what you're going to get, especially as the corrosion of our leadership continues to get worse by the decade. The front of the show in the open, the... um, the intro, I don't, that's from some radio show I did years ago. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be shocked 
with what people do with it. That means you'll be shocked in the sense that they will create an iPhone. We will be shocked by modern marvels of modern medicine and scientific discovery. We will all be in awe of deep sea and outer space exploration. The high rate that technology will expand will both baffle us and equally amaze us with the simplicity that it brings us to once difficult tasks. And yes, it will shock us when easily accessible firearms and weapons are available to seemingly just anybody, and far too often those just anybody commit mass murder and create complete havoc and chaos on the American psyche. Freedom is indeed very dangerous. But what's now becoming as dangerous, if not more, is a lunatic fringe and our despicable political system that fuels and panders to this fringe. This national obsession with weapons, guns, and firearms is a mental illness. It is a, uh, it is a defect of the human brain. Responsibly having a firearm in your home for protection is one thing. Enjoying going shooting at the ranges is also another thing that I can somewhat understand and completely be on board with. But this is kind of like where pornography has gone in the last 30 years. And I know you're like, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. What? What? What are you talking about, Brian? Hey, stick with me here for a minute. Pornography was just this thing that we all just kind of all dabbled in at some point in our lives, kept it mostly hush-hush, and for the most part, it wasn't really all that big a deal until it became an industry that is literally destroying young people's brains and minds. And no one, no one wants to talk about that out loud. But this is where guns have taken us in the last however long, how many decades. Started off for years with just hunting rifles, pistols, and weapons for somewhat of a recreation. And now it's turned into a full-blown, hardcore AK-15, AR-15, R2-D2, whatever the hell these things are called. Weapons of mass casualty is just, oh, well, those got to be available too. I mean, hey, what do, I, what do you want me to do about it? That's what these asshole politicians literally just said. The guy who represents the area in Nashville where the school was just shot up earlier this week. He said, what do you want me to do about it? Bad guys and criminals are going to do what they want to do. What do you want me to do about it? This is the guy who had the Christmas card with his entire family holding weapons of mass casualty used on the battlefield in some of the most savage tactical warfare in the history of the world. That was his Christmas card. Any kind of obsessive behavior is a disease. It is sometimes an uncurable disease. The same way alcoholism is. The same way that drug addiction can be. It is a mental illness and it is killing innocent people all over the country and it is not going to stop. So what we need to do at least maybe just for our own sanity, is stop acting so goddamn shocked every time. You remember growing up in, well, depending on your age, but if you're a middle-aged person like myself, you remember growing up and you knew that friend of yours, mom or grandma, 
who picked up all those magazines off the rack over where all the candy was by the uh, by the uh, cashiers, the National Enquirer, Star Magazine, whatever else there was. And these people just were obsessive with these magazines and read them like they were real life. Well, the National Enquirer was established in 1926. Fake news, sensationalized news, propaganda, all none of that new, all been a thing for the entire history of civilization. It's just now those people have the World Wide Web to continue their mental illness and that fringe ain't so fringe anymore. And when we have people like Marjorie Trailer Park Green and uh, Bobert, uh, Lauren Bobert, carrying guns everywhere she goes, and also sending out the postcards with, with the AK-40, AR-57s, whatever the hell they're called. This is America. This is what we do. America's gun obsession is a cultural disease. From the nationalnews.com, an opinion piece from Jane Zogby, just a couple pieces of it. Bottom line, America's own more guns and have a higher per capita murder rate and mass casualty events annually by far than any other developed country on earth. No matter how many times they told you this and how many outrages they endure, Americans know in their hearts that nothing will be done. And so they are resigned to live in fear, knowing the nightmare will return. Let's face it. The United States in this sense is a troubled country. Its debate on gun violence can best be described as pathetic. Republicans and some Democrats, fearful of getting in the crosshairs of the gun lobby, refuse to take any action. They refuse to allow even limited controls on guns, arguing that the unfettered right to own weapons is sacred. The solution to gun violence, they argue, is more guns. From cradle to grave, Americans are fed the steady diet of guns and violence. From cartoons, westerns, or cop shows to video games and Quentin Tarantino's bullet and blood fests. Guns and shooting and killing are ingrained into America's deep culture. Like homemade apple pie, guns have become part of what makes America a nation. For BBC.com, it feels like these incidents are becoming more frequent in the U.S. Well, that is because they are. While mass shootings often draw alarm, they make up a fraction of gun-related deaths. In 2020, mass shooting victims made up 1.1% of overall firearm deaths. Still active shooter incidents have seen a sharp rise in recent years. Nine of the ten deadliest mass shootings in the U.S. occurred since 2007. U.S. gun sales reached a record $23 million in 2020, a 65% increase from 2019. Thank you very much overreaction to the freaking flu and COVID shutdowns globally. Thank you very freaking much. Distress law and societal trends. A report published on Tuesday found that nearly 93% of assailants had dealt with a personal issue prior to their attack, whether it be divorce, health problems, or issues at school or work. Toxic masculinity could factor in as well. Nearly all mass shooters, around 98%, are Male And all I see when I continue to Google search different bills, different states and their senates and what they're trying to push and what they're trying to pass, I just see more and more guns, not less. Tennessee lawmaker proposes bill that will allow teachers to conceal carry. Tennessee bill would allow law enforcement to carry guns while under the influence. It just goes on and on and on from there. Locally, a handful of uh, quotes from 
leaders here in the city of Chattanooga and around the state of Tennessee. I'm not going to read them verbatim because I don't care what most of these assholes say, but I will just mention the ones that mention God a lot, and that is starting off with our guy, my guy, asshole Weston Womp, mayor of the county. My God, my God, surround the children, parents, and teachers. Lord, we need you. Uh, Marsha Blackburn, a senator out of uh, here in the state. Please join us in prayer for those affected. Almost like he pulled it and lifted it from her statement. Chuck Fleischman, our congressman, says, please join us in praying for everyone affected by this tragedy. Marjorie Trailer Park Green says, my prayers are with victims and families at the Covenant School in Nashville. And Bill Lee says, please join us. That's the governor in praying for the school. Yes, please pray. Pray and pray and pray and sit back and wait until the next mass shooting happens. I started all off somewhat real question, but maybe it's rhetorical. What am I supposed to do about this? What else are we supposed to say? What else is there to think? What else is there is no action. There is no leadership. There is nothing but obsessive, mentally ill fringe who will never allow a gun regulation over their dead bodies, which they'll be lucky if they aren't dead bodies because of these stupid goddamn guns. And I'll wrap that up right there because I don't know where else to take it. Coming up next, go back about a month ago, right before the start of the NCAA tournament. I was one week into alcohol detox inpatient rehab treatment and I wrote one of many chapters of stories maybe I shouldn't tell. Coming up next, The Basketball Diaries. Now back to more. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stone on air. Listen, I need you to help me out, all right? I need you to give me some money, okay? Ma, do you hear me, Ma? Yeah, I hear you. I, I can't help you. Okay, listen, what you gotta do is give me some money, okay? Jim, I can't do that. Why not? Come on, you know I'm, I'm not gonna do anything with it. I just need... I need to go out of town for a little while because I got into some trouble and I need some help with it. Okay, so you gotta give me some money, Mom. Mom, give me some fucking money, please! What are you doing? I'm your son! I don't have any. Mom, don't fuck around like this! Give me some money! Ah! Come on! Let me in the fucking car! That was from the Basketball Diaries flick in 1995, I believe. Leo DiCaprio. That dude's a hell of an actor, man. As a kid, as an adult, he might be odd in the sense that he never has a girlfriend over the age of, like, 24. (laughs) But, hey, good for him. This is Jim Carroll and his one song from his punk band, People Who Die. I believe it was just the Jim Carroll band. Died in uh, 2009, was an American author, poet, 
autobiographer and punk musician. Carroll was best known for his 1978 autobiographical work, The Basketball Diaries, which inspired a 1995, so there I got it right, film of the same title starring Leo DiCaprio. And I was going to do one of the chapters of my Dear Diaring, or journaling as they call it, as I spent a month in a rehab. I was going to do one called The Yoga Sessions today, so if you were... Waiting for that with bated breath. I'll probably get to that one next week. I figured this one made more sense because, well, the NCAA tournament is about to come to a wraps this weekend. And I'm not a huge college basketball fan anymore like I used to be as a, as a kid. But I, I do love the uh, tournament for the one-and-done nature and for the upset and the Cinderella stories. It makes for really overall just the storylines. It is the sports um, tournament that creates the most storylines because people you would have never heard of who nobody would have ever cared about in for the rest of the history of anybody's lives all of a sudden become front page stories of inspiration generally speaking and it's it's just a lot of fun and anytime it's a do or die situation in sports most of us who enjoy uh, watching sporting events we gravitate towards that and while some are not uh, exactly excited about this weekend's Final Four because it doesn't have a bunch of the top teams in it, this is the kind of thing that it, this is what it's made for for me. Uh, Florida Atlantic, uh, San Diego State, and um, whoever the uh, uh, Miami, not as much of a Cinderella story, but certainly not a team you normally see there. So I figured what I would do was do this chapter of stories maybe I shouldn't tell while the NCAA tournament is coming to a close, as I wrote this story on, I believe it was March 6th. Yes, it was March 6th, just uh, days before the NCAA tournament was to begin. Before I get to that, um, I will, uh, I'm bummed with myself that I didn't think about this while I was inside the treatment facility, is that once a week it's on the schedule that we're going to watch a quote-unquote recovery movie. And I guess it just depends on who you ask as to what a recovery movie actually is. And this will be another one of the chapters that I'll get to later on down the road. I had the table of contents pulled a second ago, and now I don't know where the hell it is, but it's called Beautiful Day, I believe is the name of that one, that will be a few weeks down the road. But um, one of uh, the guys I was in with, one of my favorite dudes uh, that I spent the most time chatting with when we were having to watch a recovery movie on a weekend, um, picked One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And that one flew, I guess, is that a pun pun intended, Um, with the techs and the nurses and everybody involved at the the facility. And we watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, as a recovery movie, as well as Steve Carell's Beautiful Boy, and then another one called Four Good Days. And I actually thought the Four Good Days was a pretty good flick. I thought this seems like a high-budget movie that would have hit the, the theaters, potentially, that I'd never heard of. And the the girl in it who was having the what would be the Leo DiCaprio, Jim Carroll moment in that movie, the, the one begging their mother for their help when they're complete junkies, was played by, I can't remember her name, is it Milos? Mila uh, starts with a K, her last name. She was that 70s show. She's uh, Meg on Family Guy. She's married to uh, Kutcher now, I believe. She was the main character, 
and I never recognized her. They had her so junkified, junkified, if that's some word I made up, I guess, there. But you know what I'm trying to say. She was strung out and completely uh, such a mess, and the, the performance was so good, I couldn't tell that it was her. And um, so I generally enjoyed the movies we watched in there, and damn it, I should have had The Basketball Diaries as a suggestion for one of our recovery Movies. I had only seen it one time. Pearl Jam is on the soundtrack, but it's not Eddie Vedder. It's just the band playing one of Jim Carroll's songs. I believe it's called Catholic's Boy was the name of it. So that what grabbed my attention back in the day as a kid. And, um, of course, Leo DiCaprio was uh, just on his way up and just a badass then as much as he is now. So... What I decided to do was call this story The Basketball Diaries long before I ever got to this point today. So going into treatment, I did not know how I was going to fill the spare time. I really wasn't sure how much spare slash downtime there was even going to be. Turns out there was a good amount of it, and there was also a good amount of uh, group meetings and all that. It was it was evened out pretty well throughout the day but at the in the evening you had a, a good amount of time to kill and someone usually had something stupid on the tv going the star wars show or star wars movies or uh, whatever that new craze is one of us or whatever that is from netflix or hbo or whatever so i realized quickly i can't read <laughs> i cannot read just short of a newspaper article and a uh, somewhat moderately lengthy magazine article. I can't read. It starts off. I'll just I'll pick up a book and I'll start reading. Jack and Jill went up the hill to get to the other uh, words and words and words and words. Oh, hold on. Where am I? Jack and Jill went up the hill, went over the side to grab a pail of water, and then they came going words and words and words. I mean, I just it's every single time. I listen to lots of radio and podcasts. I, I guess I should get into listening to um, books on tape, as they were called. But I cannot read. I cannot focus. My ADHD is beyond repair. And so what I realized what I needed to do was I should write. Now, I can't write well in the sense that if an ML, MLA handbook, I might as well toss into an inferno and set it on fire. That's how poor my grammar and uh, punctuation and writing skills are, but I know how to put thought to paper, and I know how to to get to a to a point quickly. And this is just going back to blog days. I used to bang out blog entries all the time. You know, my English teacher would have been horrified by how terribly it was laid out, but the thoughts were still there. So I figured this is what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start journaling, dear diarying my days to give an idea of where I am at at this exact moment. And this was March 6th, right after my first initial detox had been completed. And um, hopefully I don't fumble through this too much. It is two and a half pages. Today's stories, maybe I shouldn't tell, is called The Basketball Diaries from March 6th. As I mentioned in last week's chapter one, travel therapy, quote unquote, is not available to anybody who is still on detox. That isn't just limited to AA and NA meetings. It ranges from group outings, adventure therapy, or just a simple trip to the YMCA, which after a week of detox, I was eligible for, and quite frankly, only mildly interested in. 
We're only there for about an hour. And when I look at a gym, I know what to do with that. It's about as much as I know what to do with a Rubik's Cube. I mean, sure, it looks cool, but what the fuck am I supposed to do with it? So my first opportunity to go to the Y was Thursday, March 2nd. And I said, what the hell? I'll go shoot some hoops. After all, I used to be pretty good at basketball. Turns out playing ball is not at all like riding a bike. You can forget how to do it. I was absolutely horrendous. Airball after freaking airball. I mean, I was barely catching iron for crying out loud. Luckily for my pride, there were only some young children running around and no real respectable adult had to witness this travesty of an amateur basketball shoot-around. As you heard last week in the Sunday News, the UTC men's mocks made an improbable run to the Southern Conference Championship, which will air on ESPN on Monday night, March 6th. We have a community TV that is in use for casual viewing during specified times throughout the day, with the majority of that viewing time being in the evening and at night. I did a quick internal poll, if you will, a caucus of eyes... So if this were to come down to a vote to control the TV, I knew I had the numbers on my side. Luckily, it didn't come to that. After our Monday a.m. morning bell, I asked out loud to the group that if I promised not to ask for control over the TV again, could I have it for the game that night for a couple of three hours? I was quite delighted when the group, perhaps quiet, quietly begrudgingly, easily agreed to this request. More on that in a few. Turns out that Monday afternoon was also my second opportunity to shoot hoops at the YMCA. Oftentimes, when I fail at something so spectacularly, I just give it up and quit. Well, with the excitement that I had with the mocks being in the Southern Conference Final and my deep belief that, quote, I can play basketball, damn it, I was pleased to get another chance. This time, I warmed up properly, ran some dribbling drills, and took some easy warm-up shots. It's almost as if preparation and practice actually helps. Now, while my shooting percentage was still abysmal, I was sinking some free throws and surprisingly hitting some threes. High school level to be sure, but shit, I'll take it. It felt quite incredible, really. Running around, sweating... While clanking bricks a majority of the time, I still managed several nothing-but-net shots. Exercise. What a concept. When I returned back from the Y, I realized I I had an additional name tag added to the door of my room, meaning I had gotten a new roommate. Fuck! Was my first thought. Turned out to be as nearly perfect of a situation as I could have hoped for. There are new arrivals nearly every day, so I was getting a new roommate one way or another. More on this in a future stories maybe I shouldn't tell in the coming weeks. So as I mentioned, we had the Mox Furman game on that night after the final group meeting of the day. Now, make no mistake about it. I had no delusions the Mox would win this game. It's virtually unheard of for a college basketball team to win four games in four days to win a conference championship. It's happened before, but it's so seldom, it's a a statistical improbability. But in the second half of the game, it was as close as four points with five minutes to play. The game wasn't really as close as the score indicated, and at no time did the momentum of the game ever feel like the mocks would win. But 
if just for today, me and five, five to six other guys, parenthetically, probably three of them, not even from the Chattanooga area, me and five other guys watched Mox basketball on national television in a drug rehab facility like it was all of our favorite team and it was the biggest game of the year. Of course, the Mox lost and the dream postseason run ended. Even with the loss, it was a great ending to a really nice day. There was no punk music, no mentions of Jim Carroll, and certainly no appearances by Leonardo DiCaprio. But just for today, this is my basketball diary. Written the two days before the NCAA tournament began, which concludes this weekend. So after I realized that I no longer know how to read and also came to the realization that listening to music just for fun isn't really a thing for me anymore. And I kind of already knew that, but this situation kind of confirmed it. Now I love music. I love listening to music, but not just as the only thing it's got to be an accompanied thing to something else while working in the yard, cutting the grass, um, if I were to be a workout gym type, those kinds of things, that's where music really comes in handy. Just wanting to sit around and listen to music just because there's nothing else to do is still rather boring to me unless I'm high, which in there I'm not. You know, out here I might be a little bit. So um, unless I'm stoned, I'm talking about just smoking some grass, some marijuana. I'm not talking about anything harder than that. Uh, listening to music really isn't much of a pastime for me, but writing turned out to be something that was pretty therapeutic in a lot of ways for me. And, um, I am happy to share them with you here on the stone on air podcast, 39 days in, I'll be heading to another meeting tonight. Uh, the weekly one at my facility, I, I'm going to go against their, uh, their suggestion to go to random different meetings to diversify my AA meeting portfolio, if you will. It's not for me. I've decided it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get a sponsor because if, if you, if you're not going to follow the, t- the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and all the ad nauseum stuff, and you're not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and you're not going to, you know, chant serenity prayers if then there's no reason to get a sponsor. There's no reason to waste somebody's time if you're not going to follow the um the the rules for lack of a better way of 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 referencing it. And it really is a lifestyle based thing. And my lifestyle is not going to be frequenting AA or NA or any kind of substance abuse recovery meetings. It's just not going to be something I do. I've decided that now, maybe later on down the line, I'll change my mind, but I've got a lot of fun things lined up for this year. I feel good about it. I feel good about myself. I have a lot of confidence. My health has improved. I feel really good as the, again, I'll quote the Isbel song. It gets easier, but it never is going to be easy. So for now, I'll go to the meetings every Thursday, say hello to the people I know, Maybe speak out loud if something's on my mind and then go from there. And really another form of a therapeutic nature of something to do is this very podcast itself. It's my hobby. It's my pastime. I spend more time on this a week than I spend on anything else. 
Maybe if I focused on other things a little bit more, I'd have some more success in other areas. But that's where I'm at right now. And that's I'm more clear-headed. The brain fog is gone. And uh, I'm ready to tackle the world, baby. All right, maybe it's not, maybe I'm not quite that emphatic. But uh, I think that's a good place to put the wraps on the show today. A little bit of a roller coaster. Got into a little bit of a mood there in the middle. Um, rest in peace, Dave Weinthal. And my days of reading the Enigma are days I will cherish for the rest of my life. And um, and while there was plenty of flaws with that publication, he did a lot of good things for a lot of people's career here locally. And um, and was was uh, sad to hear that, but but also enjoyed reminiscing and, and thinking back to those days of uh, alt weeklies. Man, those rags, my favorite thing, one of my my media dreams. As a young person, was radio and print. I wanted to. I wanted my own zine, as they would call it. I wanted an alt weekly. I wanted to be a, a, a. If not, I knew I would never be an editor or publisher of one. But I wanted to be a contributor, and it never happened. I did get opportunities. I did get. I did have opportunities to do it. I just never took that step in that direction, um, for whatever reason. But I said the show's over, so let me go ahead and end it. Uh, love you to death. We'll do it again next week. The first days of April, my favorite month, hashtag my month, is almost here. I'll talk to you just a few days shy of my 43rd birthday on April 6th next week. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye.